You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning Rabbi. Good morning. Wow, okay. Um, so we uh, um, have been looking at uh, a series of essays from Abraham Joshua Heschel uh, in a book called Man's Quest for God, uh, which is a, a collection of essays about uh, prayer. Um, and specifically, we've been looking at a, a, a series of essays in which um, uh, Rabbi Heschel is trying to um, uh, diagnose uh, the problem of the modern American synagogue as he sees it, of, of, the, of, of what prayer is like, especially in the modern American synagogue as he sees it. Um, and the concept um, at, at the beginning is that, uh, um, the, I don't remember the exact phrase, but it's something like, um, the synagogue has become the graveyard where prayer has, has been buried. Um, so uh, his premise is that uh, that that synagogue life, uh, it, the, all the soul has been taken out of synagogue life, all the spirit has been taken out of synagogue life, God has been taken out of synagogue life, uh, and uh, and that's been um, uh, crushing for uh, uh, for the religious spirit and uh, potentially destructive uh, for uh, for for Judaism, uh, and so he's now identifying um, a few different. Um, approaches that have been taken, um, uh, theological arguments that have been made um, that have uh, that that have, in his opinion, led us to that place. Right. So the first is that we looked at last week. Uh, he calls the doctrine of agnosticism, which basically says that prayer is fraud. Right. That uh, that 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 um, the premise that most of us have when we when we pray. Um, is that um, that we're praying to a God out there who can you know swoop down and solve our problems for us if we just pray hard enough or have the right resume, right? you know we we do enough good stuff and then go and pray and then God will answer our things. Uh, but the problem with that is that uh, that that for some people it seems to work and for other people it doesn't seem to work. And so then you have to ask yourself, okay, well if it's not working, is it because I'm not praying hard enough? Well, okay, but I am praying pretty hard. Is it because I'm not good enough? Well, I'm a pretty good guy, right? So why is God not giving me what I want? And the uh, and so some some people will answer, well, you know, it's it's the part of the divine mystery, whatever, etc. And other people say, no, right? That's proof that God doesn't exist because if I did all the right things and I prayed hard enough, um, there's no reason why God wouldn't give me the thing that I'm asking for, right? Uh, um, and so uh, and so therefore uh, um, therefore there's you know either no God or there's no point in praying. Um, and from a certain perspective, there's a, there, there's a, um, a, a logic to that, um, you know, especially um, uh, especially considering you know if you think of God as a as a perfect entity, um, unchanging, as uh, many philosophers have posited, um, then uh, prayer is kind of absurd, right? How could you change God's mind about something, right? Um, so that's the doctrine of agnosticism, right? Uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll take Either we'll either we'll take God out of prayer, um, or we'll take God and prayer out of synagogue because that's it's just kind of pointless. And so synagogues, for that for that reason, some synagogues, Heschel argues, have become social centers, 
Right? It's where people come and the Jews come and you know uh, do Jewish in some sort of amorphous sense of what that means, um, and uh, and 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 schmooze with each other and you know go to the go to the Zumba classes that they have at the shul and um, you know and uh, uh, um, you know have uh, uh, you know listen to the guy from Sports Talk Radio and they uh, and they all come together. It's it's nice. It's fun. But there's no prayer. Right. So that's. Um, so um, uh, Heschel says that that is um, uh, um, spiritual death for uh, for a community, right? Just as man cannot live without a soul, religion cannot survive without God. Our soul withers without prayer. And Mindy pointed out to me last week. I think you're right. Our soul there is not necessarily our individual souls, although I think he means that too. Our communal soul withers without prayer. Okay. But what I want to look at today is the second uh, argument, which is the doctrine of religious behaviorism. I don't know if he's referring uh, to uh, to this specifically when he talks about the doctrine of religious behaviorism, but it, uh, what what he will describe is something akin to um, the what the philosopher um, Yeshayahu Leibovitz uh, suggests about uh, about Judaism. Right? So Yeshayahu Leibovitz's theory of mitzvot, theory of commandments, is that um, is that the only reason to observe commandments is because they're commanded. And if you have any other reason for observing commandments, you're essentially committing idolatry. Right? So, in other words, um, it might be very nice that you could come up with an explanation for keeping kosher that uh, has all sorts of ethical dimensions to it. But if you keep kosher because of those reasons, then you're not really keeping kosher. You keep kosher because God told you to keep kosher. Right? Because it's what Jews do, or what Jews are supposed to do. Right? Um, all the ancillary reasons, um, uh, in, in some ways, are are uh, are maybe not only unnecessary, uh, but uh, could be actively forbidden. Right? You should get no pleasure from uh, from observe, from fulfilling a commandment. In Yeshayahu Leibovitz's point of view, right? It should do nothing for your soul. Um, it should be. The fulfillment of an obligation, doing your taxes. Right? Most people don't feel spiritually alive when they're doing their taxes. Some people do, um, right? But you do it because you have to do your taxes. Hours not here today. Right? And you fulfill your obligation. <laughs> you, right. That's fine. Right. Um, you fulfill your obligation by virtue of the fact that you've filled in your taxes and sent them into the IRS. Right. So um, this that's that's. A, a theory of, uh, of, uh, of of Jewish practice, right? You um, the uh, the responsibility is to to fill in the paperwork, to to do it, you know, uh, by the book, um, and um, and not at all to uh, to to get any sort of like personal fulfillment or spiritual satisfaction from it. Um, and so Heschel is going to argue that um, that that. It, that some synagogues have, and or or some people have adopted more or less that approach to Jewish prayer. Right? I go to shul because I'm supposed because that's what Jews are supposed to do. I open the siddur and say the words that are in the siddur because that's what Jews are supposed to do. I say them in a certain way because that's what Jews are supposed to do. I stand up when I'm supposed to stand up because that's what Jews are supposed to do. I bow when I'm supposed to bow because that's what Jews are supposed to do. Right? There's no I toward how do I make my soul come alive through what I'm doing? How does what I'm doing um, awaken my spirit? That's not at all the concern. The concern is, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? So here's what he says. 
there are people who seem to believe that religious deeds, this is, I'm at the bottom of 53 here, there are people who seem to believe that religious deeds can be performed in a spiritual wasteland, in the absence of the soul, with a heart hermetically sealed. That external action is the essential mode of worship. Pedantry the same as piety, as if all that mattered is how men behaved in physical terms, as if religion were not concerned with the inner life. So all that matters is what you do, not what you feel about what you're doing. Um, Now, in defense, in some ways, of the people that Heschel's arguing against, and I think Heschel would would acknowledge this too, and it points you as the footnote to the radical importance of doing on a different page in the book. Um, So I think uh, Heschel tempers this in other places. Um, So with with, with respect and credit to Heschel, right? But you have, in the Jewish tradition... um, a uh, um, um, uh, uh, a sense that uh, you know mitzvot enot enan tzrichot kavana, right? Uh, uh, some people argue that uh, that commandments don't require intention. Uh, that dvarim shabalev enam dvarim, right? Your internal thoughts aren't real things. You have to act on them, right? So um, so I, I think that that's true um, uh, to a degree in Judaism that we are a a, a, a people focused on deed. Right and and deeds uh, are are paramount. So if I uh, if I keep Shabbos but not for the right reasons, um, whatever the right reasons are, I still get credit for having kept Shabbos. Right, and if I um, you know and if I uh, uh, pray, if I say the Amida, even if it's not for the right reasons, um, I still get credit for saying the Amida. Right, uh, whatever getting credit means. Um, so there is, I think, a, a sense of that in the Jewish tradition, although it's not uh, it's not monolithic, right? So every every instance in the Gemara um, in which it's suggested that uh, commandments don't require intention is challenged by people who say, of course, commandments require intention. And no, you don't get credit for saying the Amida without without any intention. No, you don't get credit for observing Shabbos without any intention. Um, Right? And then there's the counter argument, which is uh, uh, um, uh, uh, pedagogically, um, it's not a problem, right? So mitoch shalolishma balishma. You keep Shabbos enough for not the right intention, and eventually you'll do it for the right the right reason. Eventually it'll come to you. And so anyway, so just to be fair, just to you know, give Heschel's other side of Heschel um, to what he's saying here, um, and, and the other side of Judaism to what he's saying here, but but that's the premise, right? Um, uh, people pray um, as if uh, as if religion were not concerned with with inner life. Such a conception, which we would like to call religious behaviorism, right? So it's it's uh, not it's 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 acting religious. Um, uh, to look like you're acting religious, to do the deed of acting religious um, without actually being religious, right? In, internally, thoughtfully. Um, it's just external, your behavior. Unwittingly reduces Judaism to a sort of sacred physics with no sense for the imponderable, the introspective, the metaphysical. Love that idea. It's, it's sacred physics. And in other words, um, it's just it's just mechanics. You gotta you, you gotta uh, do the actions you're supposed to do. As a personal attitude, religious behaviorism usually reflects a widely held theology in which the supreme article of faith is respect for tradition. Right? Um, I hear that all the time in, uh, in, um, in, in, the, in the Jewish world, in synagogue life. I talk with bar mitzvah kids, you know, um, you know, why is X, Y, or Z thing important? Oh, because it's what Jews do. 
Um, you know, it's because of it's 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 because because of tradition, um, uh, and and so you know, and, and and so why be Jewish to pass down the tradition, um, which is not necessarily a bad response, um, except for at some point um, we become uh, um, accountable for what the content of that tradition is. I mean, what's the what what is it supposed to be doing? Are we just passing along uh, empty husks? Um, and uh, and that's a, a, a real big challenge, and I think that that's one of the great challenges of, of our time um, is in a in a you know sort of free religious marketplace when people uh, uh, tend to be primarily concerned with um, uh, you know what uh, what is the personal spiritual satisfaction that I get from every from any given practice or any given way of life um, for better or worse. Um, that that's uh, um, the, the the culture in which we live, and I think that there's a fairness to that too um, of demanding that. Um, uh, so at that point, uh, and I think that in that way Heschel was very prophetic in this. Um, uh, in that in, in that way, we become responsible for what the for what the content of that tradition is that we that we pass on. What does it do, and what is it supposed to do, other than the fact that we're supposed to do it, right? Um, so it's a uh, respect for tradition. People are urged to believe the rituals or attend the services out of deference to what has come down to us from our ancestors. Right? So why go to shul? Because my grandfather went to went to shul. Because my father went to shul. Um, uh, the theology of respect pleads for the maintenance of the inherited and transmitted customs and institutions and is characterized by a spirit of conformity, excessive moderation, and disrespect of spontaneity. Right? Um, I think that that's true. Right? People who tend to uh, um, uh, do and, con- and conceive of Jewish stuff um, as, you know, this is what my parents and grandparents did, so that's why I'm doing it, tend to resist any kind of change in the tradition. Right? Um, I feel that, you know, so I, someone once uh, remarked that, like, in the Kedusha, I, um, uh, I take three, like, uh, um, like, bounces on my tiptoes for Kadosh, 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 and then I take two bounces on my tiptoes for Baruch Shem Kavu, uh, um, 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 Baruch Kavu Mokoto. No, no, no. There it is. Um, and uh, and then I do uh, one bounce on my toes for uh, right? Um, now, if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, it doesn't tell you any of that, right? Um, uh, it, it, I don't even think it, I have to go back and look. I don't think it even tells you to, to, to bounce for uh, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Um, so why do I do it? Because I saw my teachers do it. I saw, you know, my, uh, my grandfather do it that way, right? And so if anybody said to me, you know, no, you know, uh, don't do it that way, or we should change the way we bounce, right? I would, you know, uh, put garlic around my neck, right, and hold up a cross, um, uh, so, so there, there's a there's a piece of that that uh, that when we um, uh, encounter a religious tradition primarily based on um, what our ancestors did, it makes us um, very reticent to change things, um, to be spontaneous, to be creative. The outlook of and 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 Heschel argues that uh, the 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 reticence to be spontaneous, to be creative. Um, to be individualistic um, is um, is is uh, is a sport, sort of a, um, a spiritual decay. The outlook of religious behaviorists comes close to the view embodied in Seneca's saying. I'm not going to even attempt the Latin. Observe religious customs because they are commanded by law, 
not because they are desired by the gods. Wise, important, essential, and pedagogically useful as the principle respect for tradition is. And so he's giving it uh, some, some credit here, and in other places he gives it more credit. Um, it is grotesque and self-defeating to make it the supreme article for faith. Right, so, um, so Hegel's saying that the supreme article... I listened to a... Uh, um, um, Rabbi David Hartman, uh, a, a great giant of modern orthodoxy, died uh, um, uh, uh, earlier this week. Sunday, I think, he passed away. Um, and uh, uh, I was listening yesterday to uh, an interview that he did on NPR with Krista Tippett. If you, if you never listened to Krista Tippett's show, um, it used to be called Speaking of Faith, I think, and now it's called On Being. Um, it's a great show where she has, you know, um, religious thinkers and... What's that? What time is it? I don't know what time it goes on because I always listen to it on the on the web um, or like on my podcast when I'm running. Uh, I think it's on Sunday mornings. Is that what you said? Oh, oh. Um, but anyway, so um, so she interviewed uh, David Hartman a couple years back, um, and uh, and and he made this argument too, which was uh, incredible. He said that. Um, uh, that you know, in, in, people think of the Jewish tradition as a tradition um, uh, of of law, and with tremendous respect for uh, for for law. Um, but he argued that if it if it doesn't point to God, then what are we doing? Right? If it, if it if it doesn't if it doesn't lead us in a godly direction, if it doesn't help us connect to the divine, if it doesn't help us understand, right? Maimonides said in part the purpose of the mitzvot is to help us understand God. Um, you know, so if, it, if, if it's not leading us to that, then, um, then we're just, you know, shuckling and bowing and, you know, waving palm branches around, you know, and it might be, you know, it might be fun, it might be beautiful, but it's leading us nowhere. Um, so, um, and so Heschel, I think, is making that argument too. It's grotesque and self-defeating to make it the supreme article of faith. The supreme article of faith is that it should lead you, I think, in, in Maimonides' words, to perfection of the body, which includes not only your physical body, but the community uh, and the world, and a perfection of the spirit, right? Uh, a, a, a refining of one's spiritual qualities and, and knowledge of God. And if, and, and if that's not the ultimate, the ultimate goal, if the ultimate goal is doing it the right way, um, then it's limiting and crushing. Religious behaviorism. So, what I think that translates to in the synagogue um, is, you know, um, what's the what's the operating principle? What are we trying to achieve? Are we trying to achieve a a, a service that looks traditional, or are we trying to use a traditional service in uh, um, uh, uh, in service of a higher ideal, connecting to God, connecting to uh, to a deeper spiritual place? Um, what's the goal? What's the purpose of, uh, of uh, what are we trying to do in synagogues? Religious behaviorism is a doctrine that dominates many minds and is to a large measure responsible for the crisis of prayer. Your turn. Please well, very insightful about behaviorism. Is that to me when he wrote this, this was B.F. Skinner, the psychologist said you know, the way you get someone to do something is just external rewards and punishments. Mm-hmm. And in the last 40 years, there's been a, a big backlash against that in psychology. And actually, lot, lots and lots of studies show that if, if you don't have some intrinsic motivation to do something, for a while we can 
sort of get you to do it just by you know the carrot and the stick. Right. But but you got to keep having the carrot and the stick there, and if it goes away, then you internalize what basically what he's saying. This notion is just about the carrot and the stick. It's not about mm-hmm. the thing. Um, and so it, it, this is actually you know the, the way the scientists now mm-hmm. think about it, and and he's right. I, I think that's you know, if that's all you have. There's nothing internal. Then eventually, you know, unless unless you have that unshakable belief that mm-hmm. you know, this is what God wants, and I've got to do what God wants, and I don't come into the picture. There's nothing holding you. Right. No. So what's interesting about that? I mean, uh, I think that, that that's absolutely right. Uh, Rabbi Elliot Dorf has a great book on a, a theory of Jewish law called "For the Love of God and People." And one of the things he points out there um, is that. Um, the notion that we um, observe law because of a uh, of a of a sense of, of you know of reward and punishment because of a sense of you know uh, um, this is um, this is what I'm expected to do um, doesn't actually play out in the real world, right? So if that were the case, um, if uh, if people only observe the law because of a fear of getting caught by the by the police or rewarded for or for whatever law that they're uh, obeying. Um, you would need um, a policeman for every individual and a policeman for every policeman, right? Uh, because uh, the reason most people observe most laws, follow most laws in the country, is because they have an intrinsic sense that they are good, that they that they uh, that they uh, uh, provide for you know the sorts of things that the Constitution says that the laws of the land are supposed to provide for for the for the common defense and for the for the general welfare, right? Uh, um, in in service of a more perfect union, um, right? So there there are moral ends um, to uh, to the the laws on the books where there aren't where there don't seem to be moral ends to the law in the books, or the law uh, demands something immoral, people tend to um, ignore or disobey those laws, um, or, or at least sometimes. Um, uh, and, when, and so sometimes, you know, so um, you can think of a, a number of examples for that. Um, so, you know, they're, they're actually a very... There's a very small segment of the population um, and a uh, and and a small segment of laws that people uh, observe just because they think that they're going to get you know put in federal prison because they don't do it right um, uh, you know tax law is probably one of them but um, uh, so I, so I think that uh, I think that, that, that that's an insight that's similar to what the psychologists are, are uh, uh, have have said in, in rebellion against Skinner that uh, the that that you also have to have to have an internal intrinsic sense that what you're doing uh, has goodness to it, right? Otherwise, you're not going to do it. So I'm a little confused. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that your point of reference was Shulchan Aruch mm-hmm. in um, talking about what to do and not to do. It feels to me like Joseph Caro appreciates it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it feels to me like most of what we have with respect to what to do is rabbinic interpretation and that there's actually very little that's rooted in the Torah about our daily practice in Avodah. Yes. And that's a tough one. I mean, if if you're asking for a connection, for the motivation to be the connection to God, Mm -hmm. that's a tough one. Uh, it, it is until it isn't, right? So um, there are things that the that that a literal reading of the Bible commands for daily and not daily practice that 
I wouldn't want as part of my daily or not daily practice, right? So in some senses, I'm very thankful for the rabbinic tradition uh, and its application of what the uh, of what the Torah argues. I mean, the 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 way the rabbis read the Torah. Um, which I think you don't have to read the Torah this way. Uh, there's certainly other traditions that read the Bible not this way. Um, but the way the rabbis read the Torah is that it was, um, you know, uh, it's why they like the number 613, because it has uh, it breaks down to uh, 248 and 365, right? 248 positive commandments, 365 negative commandments. 248, in their conception, from the biology that they had at their time, was that's the amount of you know limbs and bones and organs and things like that that a person has in their body. And 365 is the days in the solar calendar. So it's something that encompasses all of our body every day of the year all the time, right? Um, so that's the way they approached the Torah. They assumed that it was something to be uh, a, a, a total governance of a person's uh, daily life and the community's life. Um, now, you could read the Bible not that way, um, but that was the assumption that they approached it with. And from that, so from that um, approach, and there are, I think, good biblical reasons to approach the Torah that way, of the Hegeta Bam Yomam Velayla, right, being one. Uh, that's in Joshua, but you get the idea, right, that you should uh, engage in it all the time. Um, so there, there were biblical pr- premises on which they built that assumption. <laughs> so you get that, uh, the laws of the Sabbath, uh, the Talmud says, are like a mountain hanging by a hair. Right, um, and kashrut, and ka- well, kashrut is uh, at least it's there. Yeah, you know, kashrut is uh, it, there, there's a lot in the Torah about kashrut, although some of the applications of it are, are, are rabbinic. And anyway, we can we can talk about kashrut more specifically. <laughs> in the time. But the the idea, but I think that the uh, the idea that the rabbis approached the Torah with um, uh, is that, it, and I think that there are biblical uh, reference points for this, is that it, is that it should govern uh, everything. So I don't need a specific biblical proof uh, for knowing that, you know, um, when I get up in the morning, I put my shoes on uh, uh, the right foot first first and the left foot first, um, the premise is that the Torah, that God would want me to uh, engage in that sort of uh, um, regular ritual behavior because, uh, but here's the thing, I think the because is important, right, because um, it, uh, it it helps structure my life in a certain way that makes me more aware of the world around me, that makes me more likely to, um, to when it comes to bigger uh, regular ritual questions, I'm trained to encounter them that way. So I think you're right in a certain regard, um, but I also want to push back against it in another regard that that uh, that, that the rabbinic, you know, behaviorism um, has, has has merit and has has worth. You disagree? I just yeah. when you talk about going back to a commandment from God, you know, the closest that I can get is what you you presented. Um, going through the Chronicles piece before, is it um, uh, Az Yishim Hashem? Uh-huh. Okay, where they actually, you know, when we went into the Tanakh, and you could see the passage, they actually read the Torah, and people were shouting and laughing, mm-hmm. and, you know, really enjoying it. But otherwise, I mean, we have, um, is it Yitzchak, you know, wandering and having his afternoon you know, communion with God. There, mm-hmm. there just isn't a lot there, and it's yeah. certainly not structured 
like what we have today. Yeah. The, the 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 flip of that is that in that passage from uh, um, uh, from Nehemiah where uh, where where there uh, you have a few passages there ones from Chronicles, but the passage from Nehemiah is uh, you know um, uh, premised on they're about to uh, uh, rebuild a temple and reinstitute uh, um, animal sacrifice as their mode of worship right so um, what you what you gain by reading the Bible through the rabbinic lens is, I, I, I agree, you know, it is kind of a stretch to say, okay, because uh, Isaac was wandering through the field, um, that means that we're supposed to daven mincha every day, um, and it should look the way our mincha looks with Ashrei and Nimida and things like that. Right? It is a stretch, and I think the rabbis knew it was a stretch. Um, I don't think that they really believed that Isaac instituted mincha. I think that they were trying to uh, say that the practice we need to replace sacrifice is mincha. Um, and uh, right, they, they, they say, you know, um, um, that, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that prayer was meant to be a substitution for sacrifice after the temple was destroyed. Um, and they saw that, uh, one, I think, as a, uh, my opinion is they saw that as a, as a moral progression. Um, it was, you know, they, they didn't like the fact that the temple was destroyed. It was a very, uh, um, it was a very, you know, world-shattering event for them. Um, but they used it as an opportunity, uh, I think, to uh, to to move Jewish practice in a different direction, um, and a very useful one, and and I think morally helpful one. Um, they could have said. Um, you know, uh, you know, they could have found passages in the Torah that would enable that would have enabled them to rebuild the temple elsewhere and reinstitute animal sacrifice. Right? They could have done that. Um, they didn't do that. Right? Um, and I'm and I'm personally I'm thankful for that. Right? So yeah. Right? It, you know, I, I on, on one level I'd love to get back to that Nehemiah passage where where like we're shouting and screaming and crying because the Torah is being brought out. It's beautiful. On the other hand. I'm glad we don't live in Nehemiah times anymore because I like the way we pray better than that way. Two, two thoughts. Uh, I think to the rabbis, this behaviorism was critical because people didn't read and they didn't have printing presses and people really had to learn to do things in a very rote manner if we were going to have prayer. It's just a very practical way to approach it. Um, now, whether we've but, had but, to but keep not anymore. Yeah. well, ha- whether we've had to keep it perpetually yeah. uh, is another question. But I mean, and going back to Heschel, you know, what we read last week, he took on Kaplan. Now he seems to be taking on a 1950s orthodoxy mm-hmm. that is very much, very rigid in its approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm sure they were davening like this at JTS. You know, and uh, on a morning minion, I'm sure they tore Should- through it in 30 minutes, mm-hmm. just like we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I don't think he was looking at that. I think he was looking at an orthodoxy that was, you know, this is just the way we always did it, and that's the answer. Maybe there's, there's two levels in here. There, there's one level of saying, how do we get people to come to shul, right? right. That this, this, this way doesn't work to get people to come to shul. But there's, there's another level which says, if you have a belief that the central thing is, is following these traditions and there's no reason for it, then it doesn't matter if no one comes to shul. Because doesn't, doesn't care. Lots of people come to Shul and don't do what you know, God exactly wants them to do. Who cares? And I think he's, he's taking that on as well. It's, it, you know, the content actually matters. <coughs> Judy, do you have a... Well, uh, yeah, I mean... I, um, I think that the, um, 
theology of respect um, also um, there's a, a feeling of con- connectedness about it so it connects us to what happened before and what's happening throughout the world right now so it, it connects us and it's like I, I don't know I think um, I use this analogy a lot but you got to play classical before you can play jazz. So once you know the classical, you open yourself up to the the spontaneity and the improvisation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you gotta you gotta be connected and, and have that base first. So I guess I disagree with some of this, um, and I also feel that there are people who come to show because of, of that this comfort and, and this feeling of being connected. To um, to others by this ritual. So I think you're I think you're agreeing with him. I, I think he's saying that can't be the only thing. Uh, precisely. I, I think you're right. Actually, um, I, I guess as you said, it's that. But mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. that because. So so yeah. At least he's talking about prayer here and not talking about a JCC. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I was just thinking when you're when you were saying that Judy that. Um, you know, on, on some level, you're right, right? You have to learn to play classical before you can play jazz. But on the other hand, um, you know, in, unless I unless I know I want to play classical, like doing the classical isn't going to be um, like I'm going to get sick of it unless I know that my goal is to play. Like I want my soul to come alive with jazz music. I'm like breaking my teeth in the classical because I know that's the way to get there, right? So um, I I don't think that it's uh, does that not make sense? No, that does oh, make okay. sense. Okay, so um, so you know, I, I don't think that people have that. Uh, first of all, have a, have a sense. Most Jews, when they come to synagogue, I don't think that either we're not doing a good job of teaching it, or the connection isn't as strong, right? So um, so I don't think that people have a real sense that yeah, you got to like break your teeth on the forms and the structures of of classical Jewish prayer because you can't have a spiritually live experience unless you are able to do that. Um, uh, so I don't think that, that that people get that you know like like this is practice for for the jazz that you're eventually going to be able to do, um, and uh, and I think part of that is uh, is because um, we never we never talk about the jazz right we never like people don't see it right they they come to synagogue and they don't like they don't see people you know playing playing spiritual jazz right they they see people still you know breaking their teeth on the classical so there's no model of it either. Except for maybe the rabbis, but rabbis are like not real people. Um. Yeah, I was going to ask a few questions that I think kind of make the point. Um, how many members are there over here? Mm, uh, the, measured in families, so like like nine hundred twenty families. Okay, how many people actually show up for services on Saturdays? On say Saturday mornings. Uh, depends on it depends we on the week. A couple, a couple, a few hundred. Going on in the building too. Yeah. Yeah. A couple hundred out of nine hundred families. Yeah, that's a significantly small chunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, where are all the uh, what are all these other families doing that aren't coming up? Right. Soccer, Saturday morning cartoons, right? And the, sun, the Sunday, ti- the 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 weekend paper on the porch. I mean, you know, there's lots of things. Right, and most of them aren't really football, aren't really uh, taking part in in the in the synagogue, are they? 
they're paying uh, dues at least. That, they're paying dues. You know, they're not right. part of that over percent that are that are not are running the, 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 right. They enable us to have the lights on. But anyway, so yeah, yeah, right. They're not here. So yeah, right. So I think it kind of makes this point of of the people kind of the people who are just doing it for the sake of tradition aren't really in it. And I think that eventually what happens is they just kind of leave. They, they disappear. That's last week. That's that religious agnosticism he was talking about. Those people leave. Right. Or they find some other way to hang around the synagogue. But it's certainly not for prayer. Right. However, I will say that um, it's interesting that even people who have left, um, when they need comfort, when there's a tragedy, when they, they find a lot of comfort in that ritual. So, um, but what happens with their kids who don't who, it's who don't a really grow good up question. here? I think most of those people are people who did grow up here, and then their kids are not growing up here, and they're not getting even what they got when they grew up here, and then their kids, you know, don't really feel any kind of connection here. They don't have any need to to belong here because. What is it? It's it's not something that was a part of their lives growing up, and they they, they don't see any any point in it. That problem is multiplied in, mm-hmm. in all the conservative synagogues in the nation. Exactly, and not just conservative synagogues. I think it's in Judaism in general. Yeah. I don't think the Orthodoxy have as much problem with that. Well, the, the, they do and they don't, right? So um, uh, Orthodoxy is still a small percentage of the Jewish population. Um, they, they'll grow because they have high birth rates, um, but uh, they, they don't have a lot of... Uh, uh, they have more now than they did a generation ago. There's not a lot of conversion into Orthodoxy. Um, you know, so uh, what happens, you know, like... It's a, People who are like kiruved in uh, tend to like. Uh, they, there's like a third retention, a third end up just back. You know, uh, sort of like they bounce back to conservative reform or, or whatever, um, and then the third uh, like like you know totally check out. You know, they they like they they, they dabble in it. They get like kiruved in, and then they uh, um, you know then they, they say oh, this is not for me. Um, so orthodoxy has the has the problem too. What would too. it be percentage wise? I mean. We know the what would what be percentage-wise? What would the oh, retention... Percentages are misleading because orthodoxy's percentages are huge because their numbers are relatively small. Mm-hmm. If they bring in 100 people, it could be 50%, you know, 100% growth for some of them. It, it's, percentages don't really address it, at least for me. Also, I don't think they keep numbers like the conservative and reform movements do. They do if they support a show and they need the dues. Yeah. Um, you know, but the but the, the the point is a good one. I mean, uh, um, you know, I think that uh, you know, I, I think that Heschel is. Uh, uh, you may be right that he's speaking to 1950s orthodoxy in this passage, but I think he's also speaking to uh, um, to the, the conservative uh, uh, synods, um in in which um, I think that that we're, that what we're hitting on is that there is an element of prayer that that requires. Um, this kind of religious behaviorism, and, and where it's a good thing and a helpful thing, um, but if it's the only thing, um, then 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 you know my approach and uh, lots of people's approaches. So what's the point? Right? So okay, so I'll go when the, when I need to say a kaddish, right? Because the ritual might be comforting. But any other time, right? Um, 
you know, if I want to find uh, a, a way to like stir my soul, it's not going to be at synagogue because that's not what they do there, right? Um, and so I think that uh, that that what what you're getting at, Amichai, is that uh, um, it, it is I think in part for that reason that lots of people have have sort of uh, checked out of, uh, of of Jewish life. The statistics show that they're still looking for uh, uh, God. They're still looking for spiritual experiences. Uh, everyone does yoga, right? Um, right? People meditate. They they do all sorts of things, but they don't think that they're going to find it in the synagogue where they and the only place they do think that they will find it in synagogue lives uh, in synagogue life is um, uh, uh, when so when they do think about exploring that approach they only find it in orthodoxy right or they find it in some of the like emergent uh, uh, communities that, uh, that that exist they don't tend to find it in the institutional places like this because um, uh, because uh, they, they find it in Chavarot, right? They um, they don't find it tend to find it in institutional places like this, or they don't think that they'll find it in institutional places like this because they um, uh, see it as a, um, um, a, a, a this kind of they walk in and they see this kind of religious behaviors, and that's the point as I think I was making to Judy is that they they never see the jazz here, right? Um, and that's a, I think a really big challenge that Hedl was referring to. Okay, we're over time. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.